Baruch Hashem Yahweh and Shabbat Shalom. Yochanan Aleph, the epistle of First John. We're in chapter 2 today. Let's jump right into the text. My little children of Israel. I love the translation. My little children of Israel. These things I write to you that you may not sin, but if anyone sins. Now, those of you that were with us for the last chapter, remember I didn't want to leave you hanging, so I did break forth into this second chapter and explain it. But for those of you that weren't here, I do want to clarify because we can't take chapter 2, verse 1 out of context because the context, of course, is in the first chapter from verses 6 to 10. So what's going on here? My little children of Israel. You see, knowledge, Gnosticism, knowledge was that which those had departed from the faith that were once with them. They departed because they were seeking Gnosticism. They were seeking something. They wanted to attain something that they were not getting within the Yokonite community. It had no connection what they were seeking had no connection to their moral behavior. It had no connection at all to sin. No connection at all to evil. And um, they didn't think what they were attaining would be any kind of barrier to the community fellowship that they were looking for. But the idea is ridiculous. You cannot just seek after knowledge and then not be aware of your walk with Yahweh. Because it's not here. We have to be aware of our moral behavior. We have to be aware and concerned about sin. What good is all the knowledge if you're not concerned about sin? What good is all the knowledge if you haven't the discernment to know what is evil and what is not evil, what is kadosh, holy? Knowledge is of no use to you if you're not aware of these things. And if you then fall into Gnosticism, and you become unaware of evil, unaware of sin, and unaware of how to walk out a moral, biblical lifestyle, then you become, in fact, depraved. And this is what was going on. And that depravity is then a barrier towards your fellowship with Yahuwah, isn't it? You see, knowing Yahuwah is dependent upon an ongoing obedience towards him or else you become spiritually blind. You can't just say, oh, I've come to faith, I know Yahuwah, and then you cease walking with him. You cease persisting, you cease pursuing You have to continually pursue like a lover would pursue the one that they are in love with. You don't just give up and say, I have attained. We have never attained. We must consistently pursue. And that is the whole purpose of our faith. Otherwise, we become spiritually blind. Something fundamental is meant by the term commandments when we see that written here in this second chapter. The commandments to what? Well, are we just supposed to be keeping commandments? Commandments to what? 
What, the commandments of men? The commandments of the government? What commandments are we supposed to be keeping? We have to look at everything in context. And we have to look at everything in the epoch of Yahusha and what he has done. So when we see commandments coming up in this second chapter, we can't just start to look to the rabbis who don't know Yahushua and then tell us what commandments are. Because then we're going to have a Mishnaic Talmudic interpretation. So we have to recognize that we are the recipients of the atonement in Yahushua. And therefore, commandments have to be within the framework of that redemption. Correct? Likewise, when a goat went up on the Yom Kippur altar, and the commandments were what? Associated with that sacrifice, correct? The commandments associated with the Yom Kippur sacrifice were not the commandments that were associated with the Shabbat sacrifices, correct? So the commandments are in context of the sacrifice. So you can't now come along in your Brit Hadashah faith and say, oh, commandments, Torah, 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 not understanding that they must be in the context of the atonement of that sacrifice. If not, you're going to fall headlong into rabbinical commandment keeping and go headway into destruction. And that is the Hebrew roots and messianic movements pitfall that so many have fallen into. So many have fallen into. So we understand now that the commandments are the commandments in the covenant that the Son has revealed. That's what we're to keep. The commandments in the covenant that the Son has revealed. Not just the love command, as the institutionalized church teaches. Well, keeping the commandments is, um, you know, you love one another and love your neighbor. Right? Wrong. It's so much more than that. But the institutionalized church has taken these commandments down to just that. Because then that basically excuses your lifestyle. Because everybody can go around and say, yeah, I love my neighbor. You know, right? Wrong. That, that has no benchmark of testing, does it? Where's the litmus test to that? How do you really see that? But then the other side of the broad road is that you go headlong into a Mishnaic or rabbinical interpretation of what Torah commandment keeping is. And it is divorced from the sacrifice of Yahusha, which then leads you down another broad road. But the narrow road that leads to life is commandments to the covenant that the Son has enacted. That's it. It's really that simple as long as you keep with your first love. You have to keep with your first love. Because Yahuwah desires a relationship which is continuous, not episodic. He doesn't want some kind of episodic relationship where you're on, you're on, well, I've got a season off, right, until the next season starts. That's the world that we live in. We have an episodic relationship with Yahuwah. No, he wants us to have a continuous relationship with him. And a creature that lives in the darkness long enough, what happens to that creature? They become blind to the light. Don't they? And it's a self-inflicted blindness. 
And we try and speak the Melchizedek truth of covenant to people, and it's like, well, they've been living in the dark, the rabbinical dark places for a long time. And now it's a self-inflicted blindness that they literally have gone so far off the path that Yahusha paved in his atonement that they have become spiritually blind, and it's a self-inflicted blindness. And it's terrifying, terrifying. So then what happens? Darkness descends upon their very lives, upon their very lives. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. I write to you so that you may not sin. And remember last week we explained that Yochanan isn't now adopting the position of the secessionists, which he had just spent all previous chapter 1 exposing and condemning, specifically in chapter 1, verse 8. That these things here refers to the situations that were either projected for commendation or condemnation in verses 6 through 10 of chapter 1, thereby thereby stiffening the community's resistance to sin. And that's what we should be doing. I pray that's what you would pray for me, that my stiffening of my resistance towards sin, as I pray for you, that you would have a stiffening of your resistance towards sin. You see, Yochanan, of course, is writing these things, chapter 1, verse 6 through 10, so that the community would not fall into sin with the successionists. And the successionist sin that they had particularly fallen into was a form of docetism, believing that Yahushua was like a phantom. And they had come to the point where they thought that now they no longer sinned at all. That they were perfect. But we know that, of course, Yochanan recognizes the possibility of the community still sinning. But he says by him saying, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate. I love this in the Hebrew. We have an advocate with Abba, Yahusha Hamashiach HaZadik. HaZadik. He is the Malkit Zadig, the king of righteousness, the righteous, communicated very clearly in the Hebrew. The Greek word here, of course, you're all familiar with, is the parakletos, the advocate, the parakletos. And parakletos is only found here in Yochanan Aleph and four times in the Besorah, the gospel of Yochanan. Nowhere else in the New Testament or even in the Septuagint do you find this Greek word parakletos, parakletos. In the Besorah, the gospel of Yochanan, it denotes the Ruach HaKodesh. Parakletos denotes the Ruach HaKodesh, the holy set-apart spirit who has been sent to earth when Yahushua returned to the Father. But here, but here, Parakletos denotes Yahushua himself. Now, you could skim over this, but we need to really understand the weight of the usage of this Parakletos here, because it isn't by accident. The weight of the usage of Parakletos here it is denoting not the Ruach HaKodesh, but Yahushua himself, and it is connected to what? It's connected to his function as 
the Zadik, the Kohen Hagadal, the Malkit Zadik, the high priest in the Shamaim, the heavens, because that high priest in the heavens is your what? Parakletos. He's your advocate. Don't miss that. He's your advocate. Do you need an advocate? That is the one thing that brought me to faith. I didn't understand it in the language I'm communicating to you now. But when I was 24 years old and I sought Buddhism, I sought Hare Krishna, I sought all of these religions... The one thing I could not find in any of those religions was what? A parakletos, an advocate, because no matter how many orange robes I put on or how often I shaved my head bald or did whatever that religion called me to do, I knew what kind of person that I was. I knew what these eyes had seen, these hands had handled, and this tongue had spoken, and these ears had had heard. I knew that, and there was no way that if there was a God, that I was going to get away with what I had done. And no amount of self-righteousness in any religion was going to clean me There was no way that I was going to deceive myself of that. But when I got the message of an advocate, a parakletos, that had done the work of hilasmos or atonement in the English, hilasmos, the Greek, keporim in the Hebrew, the atonement, that made sense to me. Someone greater than me had paid the price and by the shedding and remission of their blood, I am washed and can now walk in a state of purification. And a pro- That makes sense and that is the Besorah. And I don't care what your advocate is. The only advocate that can bring you into the Shekinah, the presence, the glory of the Father is what? Yahusha. That's the only one that counts. And this is exactly what our author is communicating here. So we can see right now that Parakletos denotes Yahusha himself connected in his function as high priest in the Shamaim, the heavens, an advocate, one who speaks on behalf of you, me. Because we are accused, are we not? Our sin accuses us. And you're a fool if you think it doesn't. You're not listening. Your sin accuses you. If you listen. And why do you think there's so much drugs, so much alcohol? Because then you can go, ah, 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 right? Prescription pills. Ah, no, your sin accuses you. Your sin accuses you. My sin accused me. And I knew that I needed an advocate. One who speaks on the behalf of the accused. You see, our advocate is in court. But our advocate is not only in court. We've all heard that, right? That's the Romans road, isn't it? 
when you were in the church. You had the Romans road go through Romans, you know, and you had the, you know, they'd set the whole thing up like a court structure. This is very true, but it's not limited to a court because our advocate doesn't just dwell in a courtly legal system. Our advocate is a sacrificing high priest, Cohen Haggadol. He is our sacrificing priest in the temple. And this ultimately is what it all comes down to. And that's why we are seeing the separation of the sheep and the goats in our very day today because of this particular message. Not that I'm bringing forth. This is a message that has been going forth for over 2,000 years. Yochanan brought it forth. I'm just communicating what is written to you, the students of the word, as we delve in together. Because we have not only an advocate in a legal realm, we have the advocate as a sacrificing Kohen Haggadal, high priest in a temple. And people don't realize they don't realize that they're trading in advocates when they Levite you out. Come on. Right? You start Leviting me out with all of your Levite stuff, you don't realize you're trading in an advocate. Well, you go with your advocate, and I know where you'll end up. But I already chose my ad- advocate 21 years ago. I'm not going to take my hand off that plow. Right? No matter how much Gnosticism you want to give. You can even throw in Paleo-Hebrew. You can give me the three-letter root of every single Hebrew word. I'm not taking my hand off of that plow and trading my advocate for your head knowledge on the temple. That's the truth. How do I know that? Because I have discernment. Because those of us that have been circumcised of heart, we know no matter what knowledge you throw at us, you cannot take our hand off the plow because he circumcised that heart. We are living children of Elohim. Not religious counterfeits. And this is the day that we live where you're seeing the separation of the sheep from the goats. But those that are religious counterfeits, they cannot experience what you and I experience unless that heart has been cut. And you have had a transformation experience. You know exactly when it was. You know exactly the day, the moment, the time that it happened because it was a transformation. Powerful. We have an advocate with the Abba, Yahusha Hamashiach HaZadik. He is our sacrificing high priest. And too many people hallow the Torah of the past. Too many people hallow the Torah of the past, in which, yes, Yahuwah worked. Did Yahuwah work in the Torah of the past? Of course he did. And they begin to idolize this Torah of the past, not grasping that something epochal has happened. The Malkitzedic Hilasmos atonement that inaugurated the commandments contained in the covenant of the atoning. 
That's the Torah that you and I need to return to. The Torah of Avraham, who never knew a Levite. In fact, Hebrews says that Levi paid tithes, right? To Avraham. This is, Levi paid tithes to Malkit through the Zerah, the loins of Abraham. This is what the scripture records, showing us the greater and the lesser. Technical difficulties. I'm very particular with all of my wires. And There we go. Thank you. But we need to elevate Yahusha's incarnation, don't we? That's what we need to do. We need to elevate Yahusha's incarnation and its effects without cutting it off from the past that subsequently defined it. And that's where the institutionalized church went wrong. Yes, they elevated Yahusha's sacrifice, but they cut it off from the past that subsequently defined it, right? And there was no connection to commandment keeping, no connection from Torah. But we have to connect it back to the Torah that is contained in the covenant that he ratified through his blood. We don't just in our awe and zeal go back and start to idolize a Torah interpreted by 2,000 years of rabbinic interpretation. That's the trap. No, you have to go on that narrow road. So there's two roads. Yes, we elevate Yahushua's sacrifice, but you can't cut it off from the Torah past that define the sacrifice as the institutionalized church has done. But the other broad road is in your headlong excitement for Torah commandment keeping, you can't rush headlong into a Mishnaic Talmudic interpretation of what the Torah is because you'll end up as a Levite priest. Headlong into destruction because it will be divorced from the covenant that Yahushua's Hilasmos Keporim Atonement instituted. The narrow road to life is Torah contained in covenant, the covenant of Abraham. And I know I sound like a broken record, but if you hear and you hear and you grasp and you grasp, this is life changing. Life changing in this generation. The book of the covenant, as we have been studying for the past years, is the epochal event that occurred. In fact, it's more ancient than Moshe in that it's grounded in Yahweh's eternal character and existence. And it was integral to the Malkitzedic order that was reflected in Yahusha. It's not grounded in the golden calf, is it? Is the book of the covenant grounded in the golden calf? But the book of the law is grounded in the golden calf. The book of the covenant is grounded in Yahusha in a time before the foundations of the world. Whereas the book of the law is grounded in the golden calf and it's grounded in Aaron. That is the dichotomy that we live in today. You have to choose. Hold fast to the old, that which was preached to Abraham in the Bereshit, in the beginning. 
Our faith has to have a historical, essential, historical dimension. And that's the importance of commandment keeping. Yes, that's what the church missed. But you need to go all the way back. You don't stop at the golden calf. Because then you'll end up with the book of the law and the Levitical hierarchy. You have to go back, as Yochanan says, where to? The beginning, better sheet. And what do we see in better sheet? What is the most infamous, the most famous, excuse me, of covenants that you see in Bereshit? Of course, Bereshit 12 and 15, the covenants of Abraham, going back to the beginning. Look at verse 2. And he himself is the keporah, the offering for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole olam hazer, the whole world. And we have to be careful of Unity for unity's sakes and universalism. Because we all know, Yochanan 3.16, For God so loved the world that everybody can come in. Just anybody. Just, just come on in. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know, it, he loves everybody. It's all about love, right? Universalism. And that's what you get all of these um, vicars and whatnot preaching in England. Universalism. It's the broad road. But what is really going on in Yochanan, John 3.16? For Yahuwah loved the, the, so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Did he want the world? Is that what he's interested in? Does he love the world? Well, we know that's not true. He tells us that the, that the world is like a what? A field. So something going on here that is so important that we miss when Yochanan in the gospel says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see, the world is a field. And in that field is a special treasure. And that treasure is Israel. Israel is a special treasure buried in the field of the world. Yahuwah loves the field. Not because he loves the field. But for what the field contains. So he sends his only son. So he has the land redemption rights to purchase the field. So now what is he going to do once he's got the field? What would you do if you were looking for some buried treasure in the field? I would come into that field and I would gather up all of that tears and thorns and thickles and I would thickets even and I would clear that field and I would bring it into a pile and I would burn it and then I'd start digging around and I'd move the wheat and I would then start to dig and find the buried treasure in the field Israel and that's what that John 3:16 is about he only loves the world because the world houses the buried treasure. But there is going to be a refining and a clearing and a sifting of the world so that he can get to his buried treasure, Israel, and bring you forth out in the time for harvest and redemption because there's a sickle harvest coming in the apocalypse, is there not? It's not about universalism. Once he's got the treasure, he'll burn up the field all of it 
He's going to get his treasure and he's going to get his wheat and he's going to go put it in a barn. You see, it's not about, oh, love, love, God is love. God is love. Yahweh has 13 attributes and love is one of them. But let's look at the other 12 and you'll get into some fearful, fearful recognition of who he truly is so anyway that's a side note but truly when people have spoken about that john three sixteen and used it for universalism the atoning sacrifice is the hebrew word keporah the greek word for atoning is hilasmos it means the removal of guilt because of sin and the Torah of first mention exactly as it appears in the brit hadashah for hilasmos exactly as Hilasmos appears in the Brit Hadashah. Where do you think it's first mentioned? Daniel chapter 9. You know, you know that verse that everybody rips out of context to kind of do this, uh, well, there's going to be a temple and we've got to go up there and there's going to be this altar and it's going to be, and the Levite priest. You, know you know that verse? You know, you know that whole chapter that is like twisted to, try and justify a Levitical hierarchy right now being used. This is the first time mentioned where we see Helasmos exactly as it is mentioned in the epistles. Daniel chapter 9, verse 9. To Yahuwah our Eloah belong Rachamin and Helasmos, atonement, forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. So remember, Yochanan, who is the beloved disciple of Yahushua, he now attributes what was once attributed to something in the Tanakh. He now uses this very same word, and he attributes it to who? Yahushua. So now let's see the second place where this shows up in the Tanakh. Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 27. You know, you know that book that everyone wants to try and justify is future about the millennium? You know the book that they don't want to tell you is actually 13 separate dates? stamped scrolls that was a conditional covenant to Israel that they never attained and therefore is not future? Yes, Ezekiel 44 verse 27 is the second time you find Hilasmos that is now once attributed here is now attributed to Yahushua. When you make these connections through the scripture, it changes everything because you unshackle yourself from men's doctrines and you stand upon the word and the word alone and that's freedom. And you don't have to be into Gnosticism to make the connections. So Yochanan, because now you're following the disciples of Yahushua, and that is the wisdom in Torah Talmudim that you should be following. Okay? You choose which Talmudim you're going to follow. I'm going to follow this one right here, where he attributes Hilasmos that was once used in Daniel 9.9, was once used in Ezekiel 44 verse 27, and was once used in Vayikra 25 verse 9, and we'll get to that. And he now attributes that very word to Yahushua. Do you think you and I should do the same? Or do you think we should go back 
to where it was and not attribute it to Yahusha. I'm going to go with that beloved Talmudim's wisdom in Torah Talmudim, right? So let's look at Ezekiel 44, verse 27. And then the day that he goes into the Kadosh place, to the inner courtyard to serve in the Kadosh place, he shall offer his hilasmos, sin offering, says the master, Yahuwah. That's now attributed to Yahusha. So you're going to come along now in the 21st century, and you're going to go against Yochanad, the beloved disciple, what he communicated to his community. And you're saying, you know what? No, we're not going to attribute that to Yahushua anymore. We're actually going to go back to Ezekiel and attribute it to Ezekiel in your prophetic future. Well, if you want to sail on that ship, you go for it. But you're going to sink to the bottom of the river. Or do you want to do what he said? And attribute it to Yahusha and the prophetic implications. He did it. We just follow along according to the scripture. And finally, Vaikra, Leviticus, chapter 25, verse 9. Then shall you cause the shofar of the Yovel, the Jubilee, to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. What's this talking about? This is talking about... Yom Kippur. This is talking about the time of Yom HaKaparim. And it's saying, on the Yom HaKaparim, Hilasmos, shall you make the shofar sound throughout all your land. So, here's the question. If Yahusha is the Hilasmos, as Yochanan believes, in context, if he is the Hilasmos, then what went before as Hilasmos is now attributed to him, is it not? And you have to make that choice. Are you going to do like Yochanan did and attribute Hilasmos to Yahusha? Or are you now going to take your hand off of the plow and return back and attribute it to something in the past that Yochanan deliberately told you it was now attributed to Yahusha? And that is the vexation that we are in the midst of. Because the people that are peddling the Levitical temple are saying, no, we're not attributing Halasmos to what Yochanan does. We are going to attribute Halasmos to Ezekiel 44. We are going to attribute Halasmos to Daniel chapter 9. And we are going to attribute Halasmos to Leviticus chapter 25. But right here in the Yochanan epistles, he doesn't do that. So you're going against the very, very disciple of Yahushua. What Talmudim are you going to follow? Do you see how clear it becomes? Do you see how clear that becomes? Do you? This is powerful. You are literally tracking a word. And you are seeing how the disciple, the beloved disciple of Yahushua, attributes something from the past. Chapters. Ezekiel 44. Daniel 9 and Leviticus 25. And he says, no, no, no. This is attributed to Yahushua. 
And now in the 21st century, you've got men going against the very, very words of Yochanan, the beloved disciple, and saying, no, 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 no. This isn't attributed to Yahushua. We're going to go back to Daniel 9. We're going to attribute it right there. We're going to go back to Ezekiel 44, and we're going to pretend that it's future, totally out of context of its time, dates that are already keyed right into the text itself that you don't have to hunt for. And then they're going to take you to Leviticus and they're going to try and talk about a Levi-Yom Kippur sacrifice and attribute the Hilasmos to that. Right here, these three scriptures, you make a choice. And whatever choice you make, that's going to shoot you down the road either to glory or destruction. And whichever road you'll be on, one, you'll be joined with Yochanan, the beloved disciple, the road to glory. Hilasmos is attributed to Yahushua. And the other... Helasmos is attributed to the things of the Levitical hierarchy, and you will end up with Rabbi Richmond on the Temple Mount, which is the Anatonia Fortress, and you will be literally coined and ready for destruction. And this is what's happening right in our very midst. Right in our very midst. We're the witnesses to this in this day. And I will not take my hand off the plow. And neither will any of you, because he has changed us from the inside out. I will not go now with what I know and plow the field of the Levites. I will not do that. I will not do that. When the very scriptures, the very scriptures, not traditions, not Talmud, not Mishnah, the very scriptures, right here, chapter and verse. Right here, chapter and verse. The very scriptures that reference the past Hilasmos are attributed to Yahushua by Yochanan, the beloved Talmudim. That is safe to me. Isn't that safe to you? Shall we go with all of this head knowledge and Gnosticism? Or shall we simply go with chapter and verse by the beloved disciple of Yahushua and go with what he attributed to Yahushua? I'm saying that this is safe. I'm saying this is biblical, and I'm saying this is in context. Now, you can dazzle me with all of this like they used to do in the church. Oh, well, you don't really have to keep the Sabbath, you know, because la-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da-dee-da. Well, you know, know, I know that, you know, you're thinking that you shouldn't eat pork. But no, 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 you really should because, no, 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 I'm going to go with the chapter and verse, okay? You can dazzle me with with all your theology, but uh, I'm just, I'm going to stick with the text. I'm just, I'm a simple guy. Okay, you know, maybe your helasmos is leaving you down that road, but uh, my helasmos is leading me down this road. And I can see it right in front of me. I think I'll stick with this. Is that okay? Okay, all right. Yochanan the Beloved comes down to this. All these choices, they become so much simpler the more you press in, don't they? What Talmudim are you going to follow? Right? If you want some wisdom in Torah Talmudim, well, which wisdom in Torah Talmudim are you going to follow? Yochanan the Beloved, rooted in historical truth and language, Helasmos, or some 21st century sacred history rooted in Mishnaic language and the traditions of the elders. That's pretty much what your choice comes down to. 
You see, Messiah's intercession is the continual application of his priesthood. We have to continually apply his priesthood into our lives today. We just can't fall into the deception of downplaying the magnitude of what the Malkitzedic did in propitiating the wrath that otherwise you and I would surely have to face under a different priesthood. I don't want to face that kind of wrath. Now, by this, we know that we know him. If we guard his mitzvot, he who says, I know him, and does not guard his mitzvot, he is a liar. And the emet, the truth, is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the ahava, the love of Yahuwah, is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. He who says, that he stays in him, should himself also have his halakha, his walk, just as he had his halakha, his walk. So what word does Yochanan mean when he says commandments? It can be a very broad word. But in the Greek, the word for commandments here is entole, entole, and it appears in the Septuagint 240 times. It's used to translate the Hebrew word mitzvot, mitzvot, which is a commandment closely related to nomos. Mitzvot is a commandment closely related to nomos, which means teaching law and guidance that's what it really means Yahweh's teaching law and guidance and you really need to listen to this because it's the mitzvot the individual stipulations within a larger didactic or legal corpus in context of Yahusha that we're talking about. It has to be within covenant Torah, which his death and subsequent resurrection inaugurated. Does that make sense? He can't be divorced from that. It's the mosaic depiction of his prophetic covenant office as parakletos, advocate Kohen Haggadah. It's covenant word-keeping. That's what you and I are supposed to be doing. Covenant word-keeping, which guides us. That's what Yahweh is calling us to. Covenant word-keeping that will guide us. It's fidelity. Fidelity to those who obey Yahweh's word are people in whom Yahweh's love is perfected. Look at verse 7. Brothers, I write no new mitzvah to you, but an old one which you have heard from Bereshit, the beginning. The old mitzvah is the word that you have heard from Bereshit. Again, a renewed mitzvah, a new mitzvah, I write to you, which thing is emet, true, in him and in you. Because the darkness, it's passing away. And the emet, the truth of the light, is already shining He who says that he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness until now. And this is the love command. This is the love command. And it's very old. It's very old. Yet, it's very new. How can that be? 
It's very old, Judah. Yet it's very new. It's the love command. The command is new because Yahusha reaffirmed and exemplified this love command in five ways that it had never, ever been witnessed before. That's how it's new. Yes, it's old, but he exemplified the love command in five ways that it had never been exemplified to humankind ever before. So in fact, it was new. That's how it works. So what are those five ways in which Yahushua exemplified the love command? Number one, he exemplified love by the way he experienced fellowship with Yahuwah. Did Moshe Rabbeinu experience fellowship with Yahuwah like the son did? No. Did any of the prophets experience fellowship with Yahuwah like the son did? No. So his fellowship... With Yahuwah is the new love command. Because that had never been witnessed before. That's the first way that the love command is new. Did Moshe love Yahuwah? Did Jeremiah love Yahuwah? Did Daniel love Yahuwah? Did Yahuwah love the prophets? Of course he did. But never was it witnessed in the new way. In the way the Son and the Father loved one another. Never. That's new. Number two. Oh, Moses loved others, did he not? He mediated so they wouldn't be destroyed. Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, did he love others? He got thrown down into the pit. He loved others. so, But nobody exemplified love the way Yahushua loved others, right? So the love command is totally new in the way he loved others, number two. Number three, the way he taught to love others was what? Had there ever been a humility that was exemplified before the way Yahushua exemplified humility? So, yes, some of the prophets walked in humbleness. Moshe was the most humble of men. But nobody exemplified love for others with the humility that Yahushua did. So there is the third way that the love command is new. Yes, it's old, but it's new. And the fourth way that it's new is the way his love plumbed new depths. He was willing to sacrifice his life for others. That had never, never had a sinless, perfect love been sacrificed before. So the love command is new that way. I love to dig into this and see this. Because yes, it's old, but it's really new. But it's all new in its how it's attributed through Yahushua. And fifth and finally, the love command, it's new because it's grounded in a unique act. And that unique act, because it possesses a unique, a unique efficacy. The power to regenerate those who'd otherwise be eternally lost. And that is the love that I know.
That's the love that I know. And that's new. That was new to me. And that was what's new to you. You've never been loved like that, have you? You've never been loved like that. Never. If you've experienced that love, how can you turn from that love? His love is no longer, to, it's no longer something that you just reach out in the past. It's right here with us today. This isn't just a restatement of something that happened in the past, but it's something that is brought forward and made new only through the life of Yahushua. Yahushua is here. He is in our very midst. He is on location, is he not? And he is promised because he is the chlasmos, the keporim, the atonement for our sin. The newness of the command is thus what? Eschatological, isn't it? It's about the, it's even epochal. It's because of Yahushua. Love then comes forward into the atonement that Yahushua brought forth. It's part of the covenants of promise in these last times. Romans 13, 12 says this. The night is nearly over. Who feels it? The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. I mean, do you feel that? I feel that. The night is almost over and the day is nearly here. That is the hope that lives within me. Just hang on just that little bit longer with all of this distraction. You just hang on a little bit longer. But we do need to be aware of individualistic realism. We need to be very aware of that individualistic realism that we were so used to in the church. What is individualistic realism, excuse me? It's the outlook where I'm the center of my own life. It's all about me, right? Wrong. That's individualistic realism. And that's what the institutionalized church teaches. It's all about you and your relationship with the Lord. No. It's about other people. That's what the faith teaches here in the epistles of Yochanan. Your faith is about other people. Love for others becomes the primary Not the secondary, the primary in the true faith of the disciple. Whereas individualistic realism, self-love is primary. But for the faith of us, once delivered to the saints, love of the body is primary. And I think that's why so many communicate that this is like family. When we come together at Torah to the tribes, when we have these events, it's like Who is your family? We feel that. We experience that. That's the Ruach HaKodesh. Look at verse 10. He who loves his brother stays in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness and has his halakha, his walk in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's nothing in the people who walk in the light that will cause them to stumble. This is encouraging. 
Verse 12, I write to you, little children, kiddly winks, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you, our vote, fathers, because you have known him who is from Bereshit, the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have come to know Abba. I have written to you, our vote, fathers, because you have known him who is from Bereshit. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of Yahweh stays in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Your generation, your generation. He's writing to your generation. He's writing to some old gits like me and your dad. But he's also writing to your generation. Do you see that? You have a responsibility. That next generation. It's powerful. Don't be taken up with the world. Why would you be taken up with the world? Don't be taken up with the world any more than you would be taken up with a prostitute. Loving a hoe is incompatible with the love of your wife, right? Just as the world and loving the world is incompatible with the love of Yahuwah. Now, if my son was sitting here, this is where my son would pipe up. And he'd say something like this. But Papa, you said that you, said that you loved hoeing. He would. And I'd be like, what? This happened one time. It really did. He embarrasses me like that. One time, a friend came over to our house. And we live in the country. And we've got a gravel driveway. It's very dusty. And he drove his black Porsche into our driveway. And my son was like three or four years old. And he went over to the side of this black, dusty Porsche. And what did he do? It was a blackboard, right? He could start, like, drawing things. So my friend said, well, would you, would you just mind just, you know... And I'm, oh, yeah, yeah, we don't want to scratch the car up. So I said to Moshe, I said, well, Moshe, you know, that's why Mama and I, we always buy white cars. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't like black cars out here. Because... They get really dirty. You know, that's why we always buy white cars. Anyway, like a week later, we're in the health food store. And there's this black man in the grocery department. And my son says, Papa, he's black. And I said, yes, isn't that wonderful? See, Yahuwah makes us, we're all Joseph's multicolored coat. He said, yes. He said, Papa... You don't. You said you don't like black. <laughs> and the guy was like right there, and I'm like, what? Oh, I, I, and I put him in the shopping cart, and I walk round the round the side of the aisle. I'm like, I'm livid. I'm in. Where did you even get that from? I mean, what are you talking about? I don't like blacks. And then it dawned on me. 
I was like, oh my goodness. I'm feeling like I'm in the clan at this point, you know. So I go up to, I'm like, you know, I'm not walking away from this one. This is going to be a learning experience. So I walked up to the man. I said to him, excuse me, sir. And he was actually from Kenya. And he had a, a full-on accent. And I said, um, I, I, I do apologize about my son. He's homeschooled. We live in the country. <laughs> we don't get out very much. And Salem isn't exactly multicultural. And um, a friend, and I gave him the whole story, and he was cracking up. And he shook my hand, and he shook Moshe's hand, and it was a really good time. But I'm so glad that I made that extra, extra move to do that. Because, you know, you could easily shy away from it. But it was really, it was a great, it was a great time and a great experience. So when I say right here, loving a hoe is incompatible with the word, my son was going to pipe out, but Papa, you love hoeing. Because we were just talking about the weeds at home and I need to go out and get myself a hoe. Anyway, yeah, we've already had this. So it's a good job he's back in the nursery today. Because I was just talking about doing a bit of hoeing later. So anyway, crikey. You've got to watch out when you've got children, though, don't you? I mean, literally, homeschool kids, they will literally, they take everything literal. Papa doesn't like black, right? No, I don't like black cars because I live down a dusty road. <laughs> I'm going to go hoeing in the garden tomorrow because I've got weeds. Anyway, let's move on, shall we? But this is the world that I live in with homeschool children. And I know you do as well. We were all out last weekend and there was a soccer net. And we look over and all of our kids are climbing on the net like they've never seen a net. It's a soccer net. They're climbing on it, hanging on it, doing everything but kicking a ball into it. And there would be all these secular kids looking at them like, what the heck is wrong with these kids? Oh, it's all right. They're homeschool kids. They've never seen such a thing. This is what we deal with. Yeah, Torah homeschool kids. From Torah to the... Oh, right, right, okay. <laughs> I love it, I love it. My goodness gracious me. What a crazy world that we live in. Where were we? I was in verse 17. Where, am I? Where do I go with that exactly? Verse 17. And the Olam Hazer, this world. Yeah, that's where I was. This world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of Yahweh lives. Leolam Vayed forever and ever. There's three things which make up the world that are antithetical to Yahweh. The antithesis. But we have to press into Yahweh. But there's three things which make up the world that are antithetical to Yahweh. Let's look at these. Number one, the cravings of sinful man. Literally, the desire of the flesh. 
The desire of the flesh. Desire is the Greek word epithmia. Epithmia, excuse me. It means morally, morally depraved. It has these negative moral connotations. You can't be doing that and be walking with Yahuwah. Number two, the lust of the eyes. Those sinful cravings that are activated by what you gaze at. Which leads to what? Covetousness. Seeing only the visible, yet missing the invisible from above. And number three, man's pride in his possessions. That's the pride of life. Livelihood, living, property, right? And where do all these three connect to? They connect all the way back to the temptation of Chava, Eve. Because what did she do? We see the craving of the flesh for the taste of the fruit. We see the desire of the eyes stimulating her to covet what was forbidden. And finally, the pride of life, which would result from her eating the fruit and she would become like Elohim. You see, that's what it's all rooted in. That's the world. And that's what the world still offers you. Just those three things. That's all it has to offer you in the 21st century. Just those three things. But those are the three things that just draw so many people. But when you identify the target, then you can take out the target. Right? You have to identify it. And that's what we're doing. Why love the world? Why love the world? I don't understand why so many people love the world. The world hates you. Why would you love the world when the world hates you? Or you could love Yahusha and he died for you. It doesn't make sense. You can love the world all you want. It hates you. Why would you be invested in something that hates you? Wants to literally kill you. I don't get it. It seeks your life. Or you can have Yahusha that loves you and gives you life. When you break it down like that, it, it becomes quite succinct, quite clear, does it not? Why invest in your own destruction? I mean, that's madness. Why invest in your own destruction? The world is passing away and so too... Are all those people that belong to it. They're dying, rotting right before you. You see it. I know I see it. I know I see it. You see, I'm calling you all to a spiritual, interpersonal access that extends, or not, from each human heart to the person of Yahuwah. That's what it is. And this axis stretches forth like a bridge from Yahuwah to its earthly terminus, you. Earthly terminus, you. Earthly terminus, you. Cemented in your soul. And it all happens when this magnificent priesthood is embraced. That's what we've experienced. Verse 18, little children, it is the last hour. I, I, I feel that it is. 
And as you have heard that the anti-Moshiach, the anti-Christ is coming, even now many Moshiach Negeds, anti-Messiahs, anti-Christs have come, by which we know that it is the final hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that we might be made, that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Kadosh Holy One. And you know all things. You do. They went out from us, meaning they left. The Moshiach Negeds, the Antichrist's true scriptural character wasn't clear until they left and then they began to dig their heels into their doctrine and dogma because they had the pride of life. And that's exactly what we see today. They dig their heels more into their doctrine and dogma when you shine the light on their error because they have the pride of life. Literally, we expose the synagogue of Satan. Within two days, the synagogue of Satan is invited by another congregation in town to come and do a conference. Within two days. Why? Because the pride of life digs its heels in when it's exposed. Within two days. That's not a coincidence. You expose the synagogue of Satan, then the synagogue of Satan comes to your very back door. All the cities in the United States. All the cities. Two days after you expose the synagogue of Satan. Outrageous. And terrifying. Truly terrifying. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth. But because you know it. And know that no lie is of the truth. You see, the remnant know the truth about Yahusha. We also know the truth about the synagogue of Esaitan, do we not? Back in the day here, they were those that were the Doacists or the secessionists. And they knew the truth about the secessionists, the Doacists. And today, the remnant knows the truth about the synagogue of Esaitan that were with us, but then departed and went out from our very midst. We have to be spiritually perceptive to recognize the false teaching. And you have got to be bold enough to name it. And you have got to be bold enough to expose it and not draw back. That's it. Who is a liar but he who denies that Yahusha is the Messiah? He is the anti-Messiah. Whoever denies the Abba and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Abba either. But he who acknowledges the Son has the Abba either. 
And the Hebrew Roots Movement brings forth teachers that want to teach you and bring out a teaching series called Who is God? And the author of that is a Karite who denies that Yahushua is the Messiah. And this verse disqualifies that right there. How can you accept someone teaching you about the Father if they deny the Son? Do they know the Father? Can they bring any knowledge to you about the Father if they deny the Son? The Scripture is clear here. Yet you're going to listen to that? You have no discernment. You cannot be born again. I just said it. You can't be. You cannot be circumcised of heart if you are literally that deceived. How? You see, some find this when you read this verse. Listen. Whoever denies the son does not have the other either. Well, that's kind of hateful, isn't it? That's a bit narrow, isn't it? Well, surely, you know, they, they just haven't come to know the Son yet. And, you know, we, we've got to go witness to them. So then, then they'll come. Give me a break. Really? Really? They've all made already. You don't think that Judaism has already made a decision about the Son? You don't think they know? What about the disputations from the medieval time? We've got records of them rejecting Yahushua for millennia. And what, you're the one that's going to come along and already turn things around? Oh my goodness. Where 2,000 years of saints have failed, all of a sudden you've got the secret knowledge to do it. So you're going to deceive the followers of Yahushua as you go down that way. No, we have to be able to see what's happening in our very midst. And some find this hateful sounding. They think, well, this denunciation is extremely bitter and hateful. Isn't it a contradiction to the love command that just thus went forth? Right? Wrong. He's the son of thunder, this guy. You know, the one that said, you know, let's bring some fire down and burn these right I mean don't you feel like doing that sometimes that, I mean that's who this chap is Yochanite the son of thunder ready to call fire down from heaven and if possible destroy those who affront the kingdom I really this resonates with me it resonates with me oh He's got a strong personality type. I identify with this man. I do. He's got strong feelings about things. He's got a strong social ethic. He's got a strong denunciation of evil. It's sin. And he calls it for what it is. It's just that Yahweh's people need a wake-up call once in a while instead of pandering to the masses. Pandering so you can just prime them at the pump. No. It's a wake-up call. Know Yahweh and be in compliance to the covenant Torah commandment-keeping. Otherwise, he's going to cool down thunder and fire from heaven. I, I, can, I can see this. This is good. 
You see, the one who denies the Son cuts himself off from the Father and so therefore is not a child of Yahuwah. And you can't teach me to know God because you've cut yourself off from him by denying the Son. And if that makes me narrow-minded, then so be it because I'll stay in the camp of the Son of Thunder. And that's a good camp to be in. As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. This life shared, and this is what, this is what most people miss, this life shared by Father and Son is what is available to mankind. Nothing more. And nothing less. This is all that is available to mankind. The love and life shared by Father and His Son. You can't go to the Father and bypass the Son and try to find Hilasmos, atonement covering. That's not on the table here. There's only one thing on the table and it is contained in the Father's love and the Son. That's what's on the table. You either take that or you go your way. That's it. And people are trying to divide it. Try and divide the Son and the Father. No, you cannot deny, divide the Son and the Father. You can't say, oh, Adonai Hashem, Adonai Hashem, what happened to Yahusha? What, what, I mean, you're always talking about Adonai and Hashem. But, but what about Yahusha? What about the Mashiach, the Hilasmos, the Keporim, the atoning sacrifice? And Yahuwah, that is his name. Stop replacing it with a rabbinic title, please. And saying you're keeping Torah. Yavarechacha Adonai. No. Yavarechacha Yahuwah. Let's read the scripture, please. That's called hypocrisy. I can't stand it. It makes me a son of thunder. And I want to call down thunder and fire. I truly do. And that's what comes out with my voice sometimes. But it is what it is. Because you can't pander to these people. You have to stand up and expose the error and walk forth in truth. And those that have the blood tipped here are drawn to truth. Righteousness. Yes, I can be salty. But if you lose your saltiness, you're good for nothing. you good for nothing. So yes, I know sometimes I can be too salty. And my brother's trying to admonish me and I listen. Do I listen? I do listen. But it still doesn't mean I'm... What did, you, what did he just say? What did, but that's as far as it goes. <laughs> well, you can work on me at Suko. The two brothers are going to take me out to the woodshed. Hey, brother, Matthew, would you, would you, would you go and bring some wood in? Yeah, uh, yeah. We're going to have the marine take him ah, over to the wood pile. That might be good for me, you know? It could be. As long as, Glenn, you're like, you know, moderating. <laughs> oh, enough, enough. All right, all right. Verse 24. As for you, let that stay in you which you have heard from Bereshit. 
If what you heard from Bereshit, the beginning, stays in you, you also will stay in the sun. And that's been the saddest thing that I've got to witness over the past 12 years. So many people that were so zealous for the commandments and so zealous for Torah ended up not staying in the sun. It was, began to be Hashem, Adonai, Hashem, Adonai. And then you'd never hear them talk about the sun. Not even their teachings. Then you wouldn't hear about the Ruach Kakodesh, the Holy Spirit. And all you heard about was Torah and Hashem, Torah and Hashem. And then you started to see all this religious garb. And the next thing you know, they're gone. And they get darker and darker and their skin gets paler and paler and more sallow and unhealthy looking. And you go, my goodness, the very life. You see it draining out of them. These were people that once had a spark. I have witnessed that. My wife has witnessed that. I know that you guys from the congregation and the synagogues that you were in in California, you have witnessed that. And it's, the, it's, a, tra- it's a tragedy. This message of Torah, Covenant, Malkitzedic priesthood is what is bringing people to a safe point in commandment keeping in, the, in Yahushua the Messiah. And I am proud that Yahuwah has done this in his people. All glory to him. It's by the Ruach HaKodesh. Look at verse 26, verse 25. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal Chaim. Don't leave, lose sight of what the promise is. Back in the day, the audience that Yochanan was addressing, he was guarding them from the docetics, those that believed that Yahushua was a phantom, an apparition. He really wasn't flesh. He really, you know, was kind of like a phantom. He was guarding them from the doctrine of the docetics. That is the context of what these epistles are about. They were looking for the supernatural. They were looking for the angel morphic. That's what they were looking for, and they were falling headlong into destruction. But today, today I get the privilege of standing up and admonishing you, and I'm admonishing you to watch out for the synagogue of Satan. They're looking for the natural. They're looking for the genealogic, and they're looking for the generational. That's what they're looking for, and you need to watch out. You need to watch out. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. And they will. But the anointing. But the anointing. This is what safeguards you. Notice it doesn't say but the Gnosticism. It says but the anointing which you have received from him. Let it stay in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you differently. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all emet true things and is emet true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, then you will stay in him. You see, the audience was protected. They were protected against being deceived by these secessionists, these docetics, in a threefold manner. Just as today... We're protected against the synagogue of Satan, the Levitical hierarchy, in the same, same, excuse me, threefold manner. Number one, we've got to remember the truth. 
And where is that truth? It comes from Bereshit. We know what's in Bereshit. It's the covenants of promise, Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Abraham, he never knew a golden calf and he never knew a Levite. But he did know Melchizedek. That's going to keep you safe. Number two, recognize the deceivers for what they are. Then, back in the day, to the audience, they were denying that Yahushua was the Mashiach. They were denying that he was Yah's son. They were denying that he came in flesh. They thought that he was a phantom. But today, recognize that they're trying to denigrate the Malkitzedek, Yahushua. They're trying to denigrate his blood. They're trying to denigrate his sacrifice. And they're trying to elevate animal sacrifice. Elevate their blood and genealogical. Well, I'm a Levite. I'm a son of Aaron. I'm a Jew. And they are trying to elevate a Levitical priesthood. Elevation, denigration. Elevation, denigration. That's what you have to be careful of. Elevate Yahusha, elevate Yahusha's sacrifice, elevate Yahusha's blood, and you will be safe. If any teaching leads you to the elevation of man's genealogy, if any teaching leads you to the elevation of animal sacrifices, and if any teaching uses, leads you to the elevation of a Levitical priesthood, then you are headlong down the path to destruction. It's really not that hard in light of Yahusha, but everything has to be Yahusha-centric. Once you're not Yahusha-centric, it becomes extremely confusing. That's why... Do not forget your first love. And then you're safe. Because it's only going to get more deceptive. There's going to be signs and lying wonders. Look what we put on our Facebook page today with those crazy robots. And if you look at that six-minute clip, it is crazy. I watched it a few times. But you notice... That when they come out, they are not self-aware. Well, partly self-aware. But they're not fully aware. They're still integrated into this computer's matrix, right? But then what happens? The policing robots, you can see this on the Facebook page, so you know what I'm talking about. They see these two prophets coming in, right? One's draw, um, kind of like a, a typical um, Moses and Joshua coming in, these two prophetic robots coming in with a staff. And what happens? They come in and the soldier robots, they don't want to get what they're giving because they would lose the integration as a computer's robots. So they don't fight them. They just draw back and go into, into the, the, the shelter. And all of these other robots there see them coming. He puts down the staff it's like the staff, the prophetic staff of Moses. And what it sends out is a computer signal that then shuts down their lock into the system and they become self-aware and they follow their leaders. And it's about computer robotics becoming self-aware. And then they're going to go out and do what? Replace humanity. You see, S.A. Tan is showing you 
what he's planning on doing, and it's right before your very face, and it's always a counterfeit of the Bible. You've got a Moses and Joshua prophetic figure, and these computers, they become self-aware. They become human. And then if they're human, then they need to get rid of you and I. This is the future, and you don't think it's going to get more deceptive? But you have to have the eyes to see. But it's not knowledge. It is the Ruach HaKodesh. It's the Ruach HaKodesh. We are living in these days when this could be part of our very future. You know that scriptural verse in Gileana Revelation where it says the whole world will see the witnesses rise up? Now you can see, you know, put your Google glasses on and away. The whole world literally will see through streaming and web. Whereas 20 years ago, you couldn't quite figure out how that would come to pass, right? But now we live in instant technology. It's going so fast that we do need the discernment. To wrap up right now, we see in verse 27. But the anointing that you have, you received it. You received it from the Ruach HaKodesh. You are protected. Just as they were protected from the docetics and the successionists today, you are protected from the synagogue of Satan and the Levitical hierarchy in the threefold manner. Number one, they recognized the truth from Genesis, the covenants of promise. Number two, they recognized the deceivers by what they were doing. We understand and we recognize the deceivers of the synagogue of Satan today. And number three, they remember that they, as we do, have an anointing that teaches us all things so that we don't need others, namely the secessionists and today the synagogue of Satan, to teach us anything, do we? We don't need. What they're selling, we're not buying. And usually they're selling things, aren't they? CDs, books, joining the website, and then you join the website, and guess what? You can't unjoin it. Oh, for years, for years. Every year I'd go skiing with Dane, and we'd both get this ping on our phones. I'd go, I just got jacked for 10 bucks again. He's like, I just got jacked too. I said, have you tried to cancel this? He said, I've been trying to cancel it for years. See? It's the way they do it. Making millions off you. If I couldn't cancel it, then how many hundreds and thousands of others couldn't? I even had to go to PayPal and try and cancel it. I had to go to my bank and try and cancel it. Called the website, no one gets back to you. Oh, that's outrageous. But that's what you're dealing with. We can't be afraid to distinguish between the great antichrist figure who will appear on the Temple Mount as a sacrificing priest and the lesser antichrist figures whose influence we already feel today, don't we? I know I do, and I know the guys in the back who have to deal with a lot of the dirt have already felt the presence of antichrist figures approaching and trying to sneak in amongst the ministry staff. We know the function of the antichrist and those who have now preceded him is to deceive people. The Antichrist attacks the remnant from without, but those that precede him attack the remnant from 
within chapter 2 verse 19 you see here at Torah to the tribes we've identified the evil schism and the doctrinal division in the Hebrew roots and Christian community as believers yeah some of us we can be quite unloving unable to recognize the limited scope of our own understanding of the truth and so I'm cautious before branding people as antichrists you have to be but when we've witnessed what we've witnessed of late with these teachings that are plainly at variance with the truth of Yahushua's priesthood it has to be named and its origins have to be exposed you see the foundation of the Hebrew roots movement is rotten to the core it's built on Talmudic atheistic Judaism can we be honest that's what it's built on it's built on Talmudic atheistic Judaism and it took me over a decade to see that and I was fully entrenched in it more than most and now if I have the testimony and the witness to prevent and help people from wasting over a decade of their life why would I be quiet why I my hope is that you wouldn't have to make the mistakes that I made isn't that what we're supposed to do as believers take our experience take our mistakes and then go and help the brothers and the sisters and say hey I've learned a lot but I was fully entrenched in it in the dark corridors having the private conversations I've seen it for what it is fully entrenched it's built upon Talmudic atheistic Judaism and after a while you'll hear less about Yahushua and more about that and that's what happens that's what happens you see Torah is good it's holy it's acceptable I love the feasts I love the festivals I love that Yahweh has finally taught me how to eat what is proper what is fitting and what is kosher I love that the commandments of Yahweh are designed to lead us into covenant Torah I love that I love that I'm no longer anomia without law I love that but that doesn't mean I'm going to fall headlong into a rabbinic Talmudic interpretation of Torah which is going to lead me into an atheistic form of Judaism why would I do that to arm us against such things in closing Yochanan reminds us of the one outstanding resource that we have the Ruach HaKodesh and we need more of it in this Torah movement don't we more of the Ruach HaKodesh and now little children stay in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming if you know that he is Zadik and know that everyone who practiced Zedekar is born of him you see the person who does Zedekar and the works of Abel and those who look to another altar another priesthood what are they doing no more than offering the sacrifice of Cain 
and sin lies at their door, and their doorway is a Mishnaic, Talmudic, temple interpretation of Torah. And its desire is for them. And its desire is for them. It's sad that people who once belonged to the author's community, and it's sad that people that once belonged to our faith community subsequently left because they had come to accept a different Christology. Yochanan realized that they couldn't hold to that Christology and still remain a believer. And those that hold to the synagogue of Satan, I wonder, can they still hold to the synagogue of Satan and be a believer? Time will tell. It's the separation of the sheep and the goats. Questions, comments? Brothers in the back. Um, I was tending uh, to someone, and they were just asking uh, the terms in verses 12 to 14, if you could just uh, repeat those, possibly. 12 and 14. 12 to 14, yes. The terms... If there were terms, I think it was, or just something that you covered in that area? Talking about the, the, when the author is communicating to children of, and fathers, he's distinguishing between the different age and maturity levels within the congregation. You had the avot, the elders, the fathers, which was spiritual but also physical physically older, and then there was the youth and the younger generation, which is both spiritual and physical. I think, is that what we're talking about when he addresses that in the 12th through the 14th verse? Fathers and children, he's talking about the greater and lesser age levels. But they also, of course, we know that the old have experience and knowledge the truth, whereas um, the young are still growing in their knowledgement and their maturity of the truth. The young have, but what we do understand is the elder people, they have the knowledge and the experience, and that is very, very vital to the community, isn't it? But what we've experienced here too, what is it that the young have? The young have the zealotry. They've got the vigor. They've got the valor, right? So it's good to have both, and I like to kind of chill in both realms myself. Sometimes I'm called childish, and sometimes I'm called an old git. Matthew, um, there's a lot of uh, conversation going on right now. Um, You know, because of this, families are in the church, and there's some that are not. Half the family is in the church, and half is left. So they're dealing with a lot of questions. As Sukkot's coming up, do we do Christmas here? And, you know, how do we do gifts or how do we explain that? Not to go in depth, but, you know, could you just give an overview of, you know, how do we deal with this divided families? How do you deal with divided families? Well, love is foremost and first. Um, And you also, you can't convert people. What you can do is witness in love and draw boundaries. So 
If you are following the truth, you witness by keeping the feasts of Yahuwah. You love your family, but you also understand there must be boundaries, which is separation. That this is what you're going to do, and you hold your ground, and you go and you celebrate the feasts of Yahuwah. And this is what you're not going to do, is get into syncretism. But if they're going to do that, you understand that you love them and you're not going to be able to change them. But the Ruach HaKodesh can. But you will draw your boundary and not participate in that because you don't want to go into that syncretism because Yahweh is calling you out of Egypt and wants to have that time with you at the mountain of Kedushah holiness. So really boundaries, love, and being in the feast of Yahuwah and not compromising with the syncretism, but also not trying to convert because that just doesn't work. I've tried. Okay, just a reminder for next Shabbat. Next Shabbat, thank you. We will not be live streaming. We will not have service here next Shabbat. Just taking a week off um, from the teaching and the ministry here in preparation for the families and for me, for Sukkot and for the brothers here. Just a time of preparation. And then we'll come back finishing up, Yahuwah willing, the um, fifth chapter we're in the second. We get to do the third, fourth, and fifth, hopefully, prayerfully, before Sukkot, and then head to Sukkot. We, of course, have Sukkot here, which I'll be here in Oregon. We have Sukkot in Texas, Torah to the Tribes, Texas. Where else? Georgia. Torah to the Tribes, Sukkot, Georgia. North Carolina. Torah to the Tribes, North Carolina. So lots of um, vicinities and um, feast sites popping up. So we are truly blessed and excited about that. Yahweh, we thank you, Abba, and pray, Abba, as we continue on in your word in the epistles of Yochanan, the Abba, that you would truly impart into us by your Ruach Kakodesh, the discernment to know the days, the times, and the Moedim seasons that we live in Yahusha's mighty name. Amen. Amen. Blessings.